near you. Uh, feel free to um, avail yourself of one. Uh, we're looking at the book of Ecclesiastes. In case you don't know where Ecclesiastes is, it's in the middle of the Old Testament. If you get to Psalms, you've got to go a little further and get to Proverbs, you've got to go a little further, and then you'll come to Ecclesiastes. There went half the church. This morning, I've entitled my sermon, Chasing the Wind. Uh, the phrase that's found in Ecclesiastes is striving after the wind. It's also the phrase that is used along with vanity. This morning, I hate to tell you this, but the beginning of the sermon may be just a slight bit depressing. Okay, it's not going to end that way. But it might be a slight bit depressing. Because if you're here today and you are depending on the things of this world to give you joy and happiness and to fulfill you, you're going to get kicked in the gut. Sorry, folks, but that's just the way it is. Because God didn't, doesn't mince words with us. And he makes it very clear when he opens the book of Ecclesiastes. He says, the words of the preacher, the son of David, who was Solomon, the king in Jerusalem, Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Now I'll tell you what. <laughs> when you start putting all those vanities together, you realize that we've got a problem. Because most of us, and I don't care if you claim to be a Christian or not, a lot of us are like that squirrel in the cage. We just go round and round and round, and when we think we're not going, getting anywhere, we go a little bit faster, and hopefully it'll make a difference. But most of us actually live life that way. Solomon was a man who decided to do an experiment with his life. Paid dearly for it. He paid a huge, huge price in his life. Because he was going to find out what made people happy. What gave joy. What gave you purpose for living. And so he experimented with just about every possible thing known to man to see if it could fill that God-shaped void that God has created in every one of us. He found out in the end, vanity is van vanity, vanity is always vanity. The word vanity, in case you don't use that, by the way, a vanity is one of those things that a woman sits in front of and puts on makeup and does her hair, okay, comes from the same thing. By the way, women keep doing your hair and putting on your makeup. We all like that. But uh, we call it a vanity because it's something where you're, you're putting on a, a face. You're putting on a display. But vanity simply comes down to this. It comes to nothing eventually. It comes to emptiness. It's useless. It's a delusion. It's fleeting. It's futile. It's worthless. And it is, as we started out, it's vain. It comes to nothing. Back in the 60s, a man named Bob Dylan wrote a song called um, Blowing in the Wind. He had the same mindset that Solomon did. He's going, oh, the answer has got to be blowing in the wind someplace. And I wrote in my notes, no way. Because what's blowing in the wind is usually dust and dirt and a whole lot of other things you don't want. You know, bad smells and everything else. Blowing in the wind is not it. The wind and the things that this world gives us literally come up being nothing in the end. And we want to give you an opportunity this morning to see that, to be challenged by that. 
Because when you're in the middle of running in that squirrel cage, trying to find the answer in whatever blows by, you miss the big picture. Solomon gives us the big picture. He gives us the whole picture. So, the first thing I like to look at this morning, does anything really change? And we're in Ecclesiastes chapter 1. Does anything really change in this world? He says in verse 3, he says, What advantage does a man have in all his work which he does under the sun? In other words, if you work double shifts and you work weekends and you work on holidays and you just work until you, what do you say, work your fingers to the bone, is there some big advantage to that? I mean, is that where the real fulfillment of life comes? How about if we have family and friends? By the way, I'm not against any of these things, and neither was Solomon. How about family and friends? Verse 4 says, a generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. Those things, those relationships you have, they come to an end sooner or later. Somebody moves, somebody dies, they come to an end. And so that doesn't change, and then you have to start over again. And what about one of the things we've been praying? We pray for a window of opportunity on Sunday fun day. A window of opportunity simply means, God, if you would be so pleased to let the thunderstorms, scattered thunderstorms, scatter somewhere else, okay? But do we control the weather? Verses 5 to 7 say, basically, no. The sun sets and the sun rises, and you don't have a choice about that. The wind blows, you don't have a choice about that. The rivers flow, you don't get to change that. And so, does anything change? In fact, is uh, verses 8 and uh, following, he basically says, that which has been is what which will be. There is nothing new under the sun. Now, it's important that you understand nothing new under the sun. We believe a lot of times we live in the age of technology and electronics and we have all these things that the rest of the world never had. And that is true. They didn't have the gadgets that we have. They didn't have the easy access to various things that we have. And we have names for things that they never even thought about. But the basic principles have always been there. And all of those things that people have used to try to bring a satisfaction or meaning to life or happiness to life have all just gone down the drain. They come to nothingness, to vanity. And so no matter how much you try, no matter what you do, it still comes out you're on the squirrel cage, just going around and around and around and around. It is no wonder, it doesn't surprise me at all, that people on a very regular basis, for even normal things, go to their doctor and say, I'm depressed, or I can't sleep, or I can't... You know why? Because they're looking for satisfaction that will never come from the things of the world. Now, how do I know that? Did I do the experiment and find out all of those things? The answer is, no, I did not. But Solomon did. Solomon went out and he said, I am going to indulge in every possible thing known to man. And when you see the list of things that he did, you're going to realize that there is really nothing new. Oh, we can do these things electronically and faster and all that kind of thing. And we have some more conveniences. But in the long run, 
Solomon had everything. In fact, is he had things that we can't even dream about. We're mostly middle class kind of people. You know, he was not high class. He was above everything else and every other person that lived in his time about a thousand years before Christ. That's where he was. Chapter 1 and verse 12. We begin the experiment. And he did it so we don't have to. There's a saying that goes around, and you may have used it, I don't like it. It simply says, experience is the best teacher. I'm not against experience. In fact, is I think experience is a great thing. I, won't, I don't want a doctor working on me or operating on me that hasn't had some experience with another doctor who knew what he was doing so he could find the right technique. I don't want somebody working on my car that doesn't know which end of a wrench is the end to use. And, you know, that you don't use a hammer to put in spark plugs. I don't want that. I want somebody with experience. Uh, th that's what we want. So experience is not a bad thing. But is it the best teacher? The answer is that if you go into it naively, it is the most expensive teacher there is because you will go down a lot of dead-end roads and those dead-end roads don't only just bring you to an end you crash into the barrier at the end and there are horrible consequences that go with them Solomon found that out so let's look at a few of the things that Solomon explored as it says in verse 13 he explored these things he, he set his mind to seek these things and when it came down, he says, I've seen that all of the things done under the sun, all is vanity, and it's striving after the wind. It's chasing the wind, trying to find out, is there really something in this? And verse 15, he says, what is crooked cannot be straightened, and what is lacking cannot be counted. He came to the conclusion, it's empty, it's futile, it comes to nothing. The first thing in verse 16, he says, does wisdom count? Now, I hope that all of you do not naively just do things. I hope that you research things, and I hope you have good information, and then I hope you put it into practice well. That's wisdom. Wisdom is putting truth into action in a good way. I hope you do that. But is it okay just to know a lot of things and be wise? Solomon, who is considered the wisest man who ever lived, and if you want to read some of the other things that he wrote other than Ecclesiastes, read Proverbs. It's full of one saying after the other that really work. It's about marriage. It's about life. It's about money. It's about work. It's about all of those things. And he was a very wise man. But before he came to his senses, he did a few things in his experiment that led to some very horrible results. And so he said, you know what? Basically, wisdom is madness and folly. It also is striving, chasing after the wind. I can know a lot. You can know a lot. We can even be wise. But if God is not in the picture, you're still only worldly wise. And you're missing the most important part of life, and that's the spiritual aspect of life. In fact, as he said, when you know a lot of things, and this is verse 18, because in much wisdom there is much grief, and in increasing knowledge results in increasing pain. You know why? Because every time I have found out that every time I learn something, 
I find out that I have 10 more questions after I got one question answered. He says it's painful to think, I just don't know it all. Am I doing the right thing? It can really bring grief and pain. But then he said, well, does pleasure count? Ecclesiastes chapter 2 says, I said to myself, come now, I will test you with pleasure. So enjoy yourself. And I found it was too also futile. He said, I checked out laughter, and it was madness. And a pleasure, he said, what does it accomplish? And yeah, I have nothing against a good laugh. No problem with that whatsoever. But he says, is that the final end, just to watch funny movies or tell jokes? No, life is much more than that. In fact, is when the joke is over, when the, when the comedy scheme is over, real life still stares you in the face. And so uh, he said, I'm, I'm looking at things and, and seeing, do the things that bring me pleasure, do they accomplish anything? number of years ago, and I have uh, Michael Carr up here. That's Michael. He's going to pull my tractor again today. So anybody pulling in the youth class, this is the kid to beat, okay? I'm just kidding, just kidding. Now I'll lose for sure. But nonetheless, the, the point is, years ago, I got hooked on tra tractor pulling. The guys that are here from tractor pulling and the ladies, they all know that I take it fairly seriously, okay? So do they, or they wouldn't be here. The point is, I started looking at, I enjoy mechanics. I enjoy the competition. Well, one night I was riding home in my truck. I had a young man that was with me and he had fallen asleep in the passenger side. And I was having a talk with the Lord. And I said, Lord, I like this sport. This is my sport. I, I don't golf and I don't bowl and I don't do any of those other things. I don't watch sports on TV. This is my sport. But, Lord, there has to be something more to it. I enjoy this. It, it brings pleasure to my life. What do you want me to do with it, Lord? There's got to be a bigger picture here. And about that time, and it, God didn't do it, but it was about that time my head just went like this, and I saw this kid sleeping there, and God just about, not out loud, but just about said, that's what I want you to do. And since that, I've had the privilege of, I think it's three other young man, men besides him, to bring them aside and use my tractors as a tool to mentor, disciple them, to tell them about Christ, to talk about school and respect and whatever else you would teach a young man. You see, it gave a meaning. Because let's face it, all you have to do is lose a few times and you get pretty down in the dumps. You don't feel like it's like, why am I doing this? What good is it? And then I realized, no, I have a bigger goal in life. That goal is much bigger because I want to be an influence on others for the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'll say it in front of all of them, but uh, if my testimony is the, different than it is up here on the track, and uh, I've apologized to a few of you because it isn't always what I... But, I need to be the same person there. I represent Jesus Christ when I'm standing in a pulpit preaching, but I represent Jesus Christ when I'm on a tractor, when I'm running a pole, well, any of those things. You see, just doing something that's fun, that brings pleasure, that brings a smile to your face, isn't enough. There's more to life than just having pleasure. But Solomon didn't stop there. Because verse 3 of chapter 2, he says, I explored with my mind how to stimulate my body with wine while my mind was guiding me wisely. 
He said, I decided to experiment with mind-altering substances. Now, his was wine. I don't care if it's drugs. I don't care what it is. Anything that alters your state of mind. He said, I decided to check it out. So we have drugs today that they didn't have back then because you have to manufacture them out of chemicals they didn't even know about at that point. But you know what? The point is still the same. It came to nothing. After the drugs wore off, the problems were just bigger. After, after your mind wasn't altered, you still had to deal with reality of life. And it came to vanity, futile. It went down in flames. And then he said, well, maybe I'll check about possessions. You know the old saying, the one who dies with the most, most toys wins. I like the revised version, still dies. Because you, have you ever seen a hearse with a U-Haul behind it? It doesn't happen, folks, because you don't take it with you. See, what is inside? The spiritual is what counts, ultimately. You die, sorry to be a little gross, but the worms get us all. I mean, that's just the way it is. Sorry, but that's the way it is. You don't take it with you. It rocks, it corrodes, it breaks, it whatever. It, it's not there. The money goes. The one who dies with the most toys doesn't necessarily win. In fact, as Solomon did something that most of us could never even dream of doing. He built houses and gardens. He planted vineyards and parks and fruit trees. He had waterfalls and ponds. And he had slaves and uh, flocks and herds that were larger than anyone. In other words, he was the consummate businessman. He had everything and more than anyone ever had. In fact, it is said other places in the Bible that when Solomon was king... Silver was like the dust on the road. That's how rich his kingdom was because of what he had done. Guess what? He said, when it all comes down, there wasn't a reward in my labor. It didn't come to anything. I had it all, and it didn't satisfy. And then Solomon gets into the one that's, as they call it, every man's problem. If you're continuing on to follow, he says, in, um, starting in verse 8, he said, I provided for myself male and female singers and the pleasures of men, many concubines. Hugh Hefner and all the other purveyors of porn can't hold a candle to this man. Seriously, between concubines, which are mistresses and wives, he had a thousand of them. I'm telling you, he didn't have the internet. I know that's a temptation. And he didn't have porn magazines. And I know those are temptations. And he didn't have a whole lot of other things. But this guy just did whatever he wanted. He wanted a woman. He basically said, go get her and bring her to me. That's basically what he did. I'll tell you what. My wife is sitting here, so so I'll, I'll probably get in trouble. But you know what? One woman is enough for any one man. That's just the way it is. She agrees, right? I know one man's enough too. Okay. But you know what? The, the, but you know what? He's looking at this sensual pleasure. Wine, women, and song. Did you notice? Singers. I, I want to make sure I'm happy all the time. I want to make sure that I, you know, alter my mind. And I want everything I possibly could have. 
He went way beyond the norm. And guess what? It crashed and burned. It too came to vanity. Again, there was no reward. He says, he said, all that my eyes desired, I didn't refuse them. I did not withhold my heart from any pleasure. Everything, whatever he wanted, he had. And he had the means to do it. And he did it. He carried it out. But it didn't come to anything. As I already mentioned, he experimented one more time with hard work. He said, I became great and increased. This is verse 9 of chapter 2. More than all who preceded me in Jerusalem. I, had, I was wiser. He said, my wisdom stood by me. All my eyes desired. I did not refuse them. I didn't withhold my heart from any pleasure. My heart was pleased because of my labor. And this was my reward for all my labor. And he says at the end of verse 11... And all the labor which I had exerted, and behold, all was vanity and striving, chasing after the wind, and there was no profit under the sun. You see, when it came to the end, all of those things, he gave them to somebody else. In fact, there's a lot of them were simply ruined because he didn't do the important things. He didn't raise his son up to be a godly man. He didn't do a lot of things. He said, I deserve. I have the capability, and I deserve it, and I'm going to have it for me. That ought to make me really feel good. He found out it came to nothing. And then he said, okay, I'm going to do good things. I'm going to do the charitable things. Verse 11, thus I considered all my activities which my hands had done and the labor which I had exerted, and behold, all was vanity and striving after the wind. There's no profit. All the good deeds, all the things that he was capable of doing, and he did. He did lots of great things. Lots of good things, community things. He did them all. They all came to nothing. I told you it's a little depressing. Now, you may have looked on TV and you've seen the extreme this and the extreme that and the extreme this. Solomon had it all down long before any extreme TV program. He had extreme of everything. He said, I'm going to have more. I'm going to have better. I'm going to be more extreme whether it was extremely wise. He said, and I, I realized that, that light is better than darkness and a whole lot of other things. He said, I'm going to take everything to its extreme. I've kind of already told you a few of the things that he's done. But he took everything to the extreme. And then he said in verse 16, he says, for there is no lasting remembrance of the wise man because he had taken wisdom to the extreme. He said, there's no lasting remembrance of the wise man as with the fool, inasmuch as in the coming days all will be forgotten. And how the wise man and the fool alike die. Question. People are famous. Do you, do you enjoy the uh, air conditioning in here? It's uh, mucky outside. I hope you do. You know what? There was a man from Pennsylvania that actually invented practical refrigeration. What was his name? Oh, 300 people are enjoying his work and nobody knows his name? No, it wasn't Ben Franklin. No, it was Oliver Evans. Did you know that, John? 
Nope, it wasn't Carrier. Carrier came along. That was in 1805 that he did that. How about um, our finest, where Kevlar, Kevlar uh, vests? It was invented by a lady in Pennsylvania. Anybody know her name? I'll tell you what. Our, our military personnel and our police department, they really appreciate those things. But guess what? Do it, does anybody know their name? Nope. No, it was a, guy, it was a lady named uh, Stephanie Kolowek. And in uh, 1966, she invented Kevlar. But you know what? That's what Solomon's point was. Here are two things, and I just picked out two, two random things. Two things that we take for granted in our society, and nobody even knows their name. That's what Solomon said. Think you're big stuff? You're going to die. And it's the end. Nobody's going to remember you. Wow, nobody's going to remember you. But you know what? There is a conclusion to this. I like this. I found this on the Internet. It's like the squirrel cage with a vacancy. I hope you leave with a vacancy in the squirrel cage. That's my bottom line here this morning. Because when it comes down to it, even Solomon, in the midst of the experiment, when he saw everything came to chasing the wind, came to some conclusions. Verse 18 of chapter 2 says, Thus I hated all the fruit of my labor for which I labored under the sun. He said, Everything I did left me depressed. It left me empty. It left me lonely. It left me stressed out. Let's face it. If you have all the toys, you've got to upkeep them. Okay? They break. They corrode. They, the tires go flat. Whatever. You know, the house roof leaks. It, you, you need to do that. It's an empty, lonely place. It's a very stressful place. He said, uh, verse 24, there is nothing better for a man to do than to eat and drink and tell himself that his labor is good. Notice what it says. It doesn't say eat, drink, and be merry. It says eat, drink, and tell himself that his labor is good. So pull yourself up by the own bootstraps, you know. Hey, you know what? You're doing okay. You're doing okay. You'll be okay. That's what Solomon came out after his big experiment. So is there any good conclusion? Ecclesiastes chapter 3 is probably one of the most famous passages in the Old Testament. It was put to song. Uh, it actually, by the way, is, um, I looked this up, uh, the internet. I, by the way, I like technology. I looked it up on the internet. The words to the song, turn, 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 are listed as a, a number, one, number one hit with the oldest lyrics of any pop song that ever made number one. Guess why? The lyrics were penned by Solomon a thousand years before Christ. The only thing is, as with the rest of the world, what they do to the Bible, they added a couple of words to the very end and totally changed the whole meaning. Because Solomon said, okay, after I've done all these experiments, I realize there's a time to live and a time to die, to be born, a time to sing, a time to dance, a time to mourn. He goes on and on, a time to fight, a time to, to have peace, a time to... He just going on and on and on and on. And he ends with kind of a nothing because that's where he had come to. What brings satisfaction to life? What gives me a life that's worth living? And he said, it just kind of goes around. What was, will be. It just goes around and around. The, they added uh, to the end of that, they said, I swear it's not too late. Because guess what? 
the writer of that song that became a famous number one pop hit still believed that man was going to turn it around. Still believed man could have an answer for it. It's the only words he put in there, and it just totally ruined what God had set for us because man isn't going to do it. Man cannot do it. God goes on to uh, say that uh, God, and this is verse 17 of chapter 3, God will judge both the righteous man and the wicked. For a time, for every matter, and for every deed is there. God is going to call us all to account. If our life is totally made for, uh, lived for those things that are vain and empty and come to nothing, we give an account for that. If our life is used for those things that are for eternal value, we give an account for that also. God will judge all of us. Whether those things are righteous, the righteous man, or the wicked. As I was studying for this sermon, uh, a person that I know sent me uh, an email and said, hey, check this out. Now, it was one of these internet things, so I don't go by that. I went and checked it out otherwise to see if it was right. Because, see, we all give an answer for what we have done. In 19... <clears throat> excuse me. In 19... Yeah, 19... In 2006, a man of 27 years old was stopped because he was speeding. And as the uh, sheriff's deputy uh, was checking in, it found, he found out it was a rented car and it was an uh, uh, illegitimate license and there was something wrong, so he called for backup. Something wasn't right. Now, I'm going to tell you ahead of time because I know the rest of the story. This man was an illegal immigrant to the United States. He was wanted or suspected of killing 15 people in Latin America because they didn't pay their drug debts. And now he was an enforcer for a drug gang in Florida. Now, he wasn't stopped for any of those things. By the way, he was also out on bail and hadn't showed up for court. And so he had a warrant out for his arrest. They didn't know all this at that point. But as he saw the backup coming, he decided to run into the woods. And he ran into the woods. He was armed. Uh, the woods was very densely forested. He hid under an oak tree and um, stayed there for a while. And as the two officers went looking, and by the way, the first officer had his canine uh, dog with him. Um, as he walked up to this fallen oak tree, he shot the dog, smack in the chest, and killed the dog instantly, and then fired six more shots at the deputy, hitting him all six times. Then after he was down, executed him, came up and shot him right behind the ear the eighth time. This guy's a bad dude. He's going to get what he deserved. Second officer heard the shots, came over, and he got shot in the leg. He called for backup. All night long, they looked for him. They couldn't find him. The next day, uh, because of the uh, SWAT team and the dogs, they found him again, buried under some logs and uh, hiding himself really well. And, as, and he had, meanwhile, shot at the officers once be, uh, one more time. He put his hand out from under where he was undercover with a gun in it. By the way, it was the officer's gun to shoot at the SWAT team. And in a couple of seconds, 110 bullets were shot. 68 of them hit him and killed him. When they asked the sheriff, um, why did they shoot 110 bullets? 
His answer, and this is a real answer, he said, I suspect that's because all the, that's all the ammunition they had. Okay? God does bring judgment. I don't care if it's a courtroom or it's when you try to take out some of America's finest. It doesn't matter. You answer for your life. Now, the Internet version had one more thing. And this is not true, but it's kind of funny. They asked the coroner, the cor I'm sorry, the, the coroner put on the death certificate died of natural causes. So a reporter asked the coroner, how can you write on the death certificate natural causes when he had 68 bullet holes in him? He says, if you get hit 68 times, you're naturally going to die. Anyway, <laughs> put it this way. What comes around goes around. You play with fire, you're going to get it. God says you have to answer. But you have to answer to God, not to the police officers or to the courtroom. We have to answer to God for our life. Now, I'm going to fast forward to the end of the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 12. Because it says there in verse 1, it says, Remember also your Creator in the days of your youth. In other words, I don't care if you're a teenager here or you're 80 years old. The sooner the better. You better get it in your head. You have to answer to God. Remember your Creator. And then you go the whole way down through. And he once again says, vanity is vanity. All is vanity. And then he says... And the conclusion, and this is the last verses of Ecclesiastes, the conclusion when all has been heard is, fear God and keep his commandments. Now you might say, are we supposed to be afraid of God? And so instead of having fun and doing things and you know, not having any pleasure in this life, we have to go around scared? No, no. When you fear something, you act and react to it appropriately. So if you fear God, it is a total respect for him for who he is, because he's your creator. You see, he is the one that brought you into this world. He made you. He has title rights to you. You need to answer to him. We don't answer to each other. We do to some extent, but we ultimately answer to God and only to him. He says we need to fear God. And if you're fearing God and you have a proper perspective of this fear, you realize that he is the only one you can trust. You can't trust your own intellect, your own wisdom. You can't trust pleasure or your, your senses. You can't do that. You can't trust those concubines or somebody else like Solomon tried. You can't trust any of those things because they all come to nothing. But we can trust God. And God has made it very clear the way we trust him is through the Lord Jesus Christ. Almost every song we sang this morning uh, pointed that out, that we need to trust him. And then it says, and we are to keep his commandments. I point out to you, it's not talking about the Ten Commandments or something in the Old Testament. But when they asked the Lord Jesus Christ, what is the greatest commandment? He said, there's one answer with two parts. We are to love God with everything we are. Heart, mind, soul, and body. We are to love him with everything we are. And if you love something, you put your attention on it. Not the experimental things, the things that lead to nothing. But we put our attention completely on God and what he has done, and we love him. See, if you love someone, there's really nothing you won't go out of your way to do for that person. You will make them the priority. You care more about them than anything else. That's what... Loving God is. And then it says, love your neighbor as yourself. You see, the experiment was what's in it for me. 
When we love our neighbor, on the other hand, it's not about me. It's about the other person's needs. But God always comes first. And how does that all work? How do we do this? Because it goes on in that that verse there to say, because this applies to every person, for God will bring every act to judgment. Everything which is hidden, whether it's good or evil. God says, there's nothing you haven't done that I haven't seen. And guess what? You answer for it all. Wow. But here's the good news, folks. Someone has paid the price for us. That's the only way we could do it. Otherwise, this is a, being a pastor would be a pretty gloomy, depressing job. But I have the privilege of telling you that while everything I've just told you is true under the sun, under the sun with a capital S and an O and an N, Jesus Christ is the one that has paid the total price for us. For while we were still helpless, heading for those vain things, trying to get life to work, trying to find out what works for me or brings me pleasure or happiness. When I was helpless at the right time, about 2,000 years ago, Christ came to this earth, took on a human body. Oh, he suffered all the things that we suffer, all the temptations and all the hardships. He suffered them, and many more than we ever will. But he did that for us because he was the man who was born to die. Not for himself, because he was sinless. But he died for us and paid the price of all our sin. All our experiments. All our wrong thinking. He paid for it all. All of our sin was dealt with by Jesus Christ on the cross. In fact, is one of our songs said, it's finished. And that's exactly what he said. It is finished. Nothing more can be done for your sins to be dealt with, to be paid for. Because on the cross, he gave his very life. Fact is, one of the other songs said, God the Father had to turn his back. Why? Because Jesus Christ took my sin and all of your sin on himself. Fact is, the sins of the whole world took him on himself and died in our place. Paid the full price. The right time Christ died for the ungodly. Oh, that doesn't mean you're a Satanist or something like that. It simply means... God wasn't number one. God wasn't your focus. You weren't loving God with all your mind, heart, soul, and strength. We we put him someplace else. He was one part of our life. The Bible is very clear, and I'll make this simple, and I'm done. Simply this. The Bible says all of us are sinners. We've all come short of the glory of God. None of us make it in God's book. Nothing we have done has pleased God. We've done good things, but it doesn't please God. Jesus Christ, the God-man, died, shed his blood, gave his life for you, for me, for the whole world. And only by trusting him, fearing him, can we have eternal life. Can we have a life that's worth living? You might be saying, hey, I've, I've got a pretty good life. I don't doubt that. If anybody would have looked at Solomon, they would have said, hey, Solomon's got it all, you know? He's got all the toys. But guess what? That ends at that point. The good thing about Solomon is he got his head straightened out. He got his life straightened out, and then he wrote other books that said, Hey, folks, let me tell you the real way. Let me tell you what's much better. There's a way that seems right unto a man, but the end there is 
uh, the end thereof is death. That's what Solomon wrote later. Because he realized all those things that he'd been doing led to death, to nothing, to despair, to vanity, emptiness. Only when we trust Jesus Christ as our Savior and He forgives us, gives us a new life, gives us the Holy Spirit to live that life, can we have something that you can have a great time in this life. I hope you have a great time in this life. But only through Jesus Christ does it matter. Does it not come to nothing? I don't know where you are. I don't know what you're even thinking at this point. That's between you and God. But as I pray, I'm just going to pray for you. That if you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, it's not some big mystical kind of thing. It's simply this. Lord, I know that I'm a sinner. And I know and I realize now that Christ has died for me. And I'm trusting him to forgive my sins, to give me eternal life, to make me a son of God. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for sharing with us through your word the total brutality and vainness of the things of this world. But thank you for pointing us to Jesus Christ one more time. He alone is the one that gives us a life that's worth living and a life for all eternity that's worth looking forward to. But most of all, he is the one that has paid for our experiments, our sin, our going astray. Lord, I pray that everyone that's here would know for sure that Christ is their Savior. And if they don't know, that they would, just in the quietness of their own hearts, ask Jesus Christ to save them from their sins and give them eternal life. Lord, we thank you that you're a good God, a God that we can fear in the good way, putting him first and giving our whole life to him, loving him with everything that we are. Lord, I just pray, too, that if any people have questions, that they'd be willing to talk to myself or Pastor John or someone else from the church here so that we could show them additional words of wisdom from God, from the Scripture, so they could know for sure that Christ is their Savior and heaven is their home and that they have a life that's worth living here and now. And I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.